we're not messing around. <laughs> we are not. I'm going to come here and disrespect you. I, I, hey, I, I appreciate it. So many, so many, so many damn books. Hello, I am Christopher. Welcome to So Many Damn Books, A Blessing, A Curse, A Podcast. So I get a lot of guests on this podcast. Uh, everybody here, you know, uh, I, I look through the list and I'm just like, yeah, that, that was all right. That was all right. But then I see, then I get a yes from, I think I can say a get, a real, a real get. Thank you. Tom Sharpling. Oh. The host of the best show, the writer of a million things that everyone loves, <laughs> an incredible voice, and the writer of national bestseller just out in paperback with more memories, It Never Ends, an incredible memoir. Tom, I am honored to have you here on So Many Damn Books. Oh. I, wanted, I had to give you a little bit of the Sharpling. No, the you Sharpling gave me my intro. intro. I know how that feels. That intro <laughs> is terrible. Because <laughs> I'm the one that say it. It says it. I'll never say it again. I never had it thrown back at me. No, I like it a lot. You've had it thrown at You've had to have had that thrown at you. Well, nobody's saying the thing that every other guest is terrible, but here's a real get. That to me is, I love pitting people who didn't know they were about to be pitted against somebody else against somebody else. Well, I'm so glad you're here. Honestly, Tom, I've been doing my podcast for about, I don't know, eight or nine years now. And it w I never would have started this show if I hadn't been a diehard listener to the best show every week. It really inspired me to get started and talking to Mike's more. And oh, well, that's so fantastic. Everyone, everyone listening, it's you were a big part of why I wanted to start doing this at all. Yeah, I'm, I'm the one to blame. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's very sweet. And I do appreciate it. And yeah, it's just, it's a testament to how long I've been doing the show is that you can do a show for nine years and that I would have been a, a, a somebody who gave you the idea to do a show or to, that you could do it, whatever it is. The idea that you've been doing for nine years and I was like already over 10 years into yeah. my run on it. But that's the nice part of that. Yeah, I, I, I would like to know. I mean, I'm sure it's in the, it's just a, an a incredible number. I mean, there's so many podcasts out there right now, as, as, as you are wont mm -hmm. to say. And yes. I really do feel like there's been a sharpling effect. I feel like people listen to you and they get the idea that, hey, I could, I don't have to go for three hours. If I can, I can go for 30 minutes. Sure. You can <laughs> do whatever, whatever size suits you. That's why they make King size candy bars and fun size candy bars. <laughs> That's the reason. That's literally the reason. Bomba's mission is simple. Make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you are also giving to someone in need. There's a pair of Bombas socks for everything you do. They come in tons of options like comfy performance styles made with sweat wicking yarns which means your feet stay cool while the rest of you works up a sweat i have a few pairs of bombas socks they are my absolute favorite sometimes when the laundry's clean they're the first thing i pull out because i'm so excited to wear them and sometimes i'm so excited to wear them that i save them i want to be wearing my bombas socks when it's a special occasion 
That's the sort of socks that Bombas makes, and they make all sorts of stuff. Bombas.com slash SMDB and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash SMDB for 20% off. Bombas.com slash SMDB. Now, on with the show. So, every time I have a guest on the show, I make a drink uh, inspired by them in some way. Mm -hmm. So, the very first episode of um, your show that I listened to was a marathon, which turned out to be a, um, a pretty big one a pretty big marathon where you actually were drinking four loco on the show and i four loco never darkened my doorstep um i i never actually got got to try it when it was a real product mm-hmm. so i i attempted uh, my own version here okay uh, which is oh, uh, no. it, it's a hard seltzer a watermelon flavored hard seltzer okay with a squirt of this stuff called vo which is about sure. 100 milligrams of caffeine in a squirt, which mm-hmm. I assume is about what Four loco would do you. Yeah. And then half an ounce of sp- fresh squeezed lemon juice and half an ounce of rum. Uh, and That's not Four loco. I know. That's it's much far. nicer. I'm, I'm, sorry, calling it, I'm calling it a loco memory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was, it was a crazy episode of the show. I did not know that that was, not, <laughs> that was a crazy version of you. Mm-hmm. that was on that show because you're not really a drinker not a not a major drinker no i like a drink or a couple drinks but i'm not a big time uh uh tippler don't put him back uh <laughs> like other people do and i'm maybe i'm a little envious of that because i think there's just like there's like I think for so much of my life, I just didn't straight up didn't want to get a DUI is why I would not drink. And that's yeah. look, that's still a reason. I still don't want to get one. It's not like I'm past <laughs> that. It's not like that phase that. of my life is over where I'm just like, yeah, it's weird. I used to not want to get arrested for drunk driving, but not anymore. No, I still don't. <laughs> but um there are at least more options to not get back in your car now, I guess, uh, with uh, with Lyft and Uber and whatnot. Right, right. But that you even have that you have a signature drink on on a menu in Philadelphia. Is that right? It's in uh, Nashville. Nashville. It's in Nashville at a bar uh, named Dukes. They have the Sharpling on their on their. Uh, drink menu and it pretty much is seltzer water beautiful which they did that because i would go down south and i'd be like um yeah can i get a soda water seltzer water clubs to say it however they needed to hear it to just think and they'd be like we don't have that i'd be like well you have a soda machine over there with the with the fountain soda machine you have it. It's a you blue button it. that says soda on it. That will get you what, and they'll be like, do you mean Sprite? It's like, no, I don't mean Sprite. <laughs> no, it's just the carbonation and yeah. the water. 
That's all I'm looking for. You will make money off of me. You can charge me your zero. You'll keep all your syrup to yourself, <laughs> which is the expensive part of it. But yeah, so then Dukes heard my complaints and decided to add that on on their uh, on their drink menu. That's that's really funny. If you were going to choose your like a signature cocktail base, what sort of liquor do you go for? Probably vodka. Very straightforward. Yeah, like a vodka. Look, I if I was to get a drink, if we were out and about, I would get like vodka and pineapple would mm. be a drink. I like pi pineapple juice and vodka. I like fruity drinks. Yeah. I'm course. not against super sweet drinks. When I went to Hawaii a couple months ago, um, I drank Mai Tais like nobody's business. And then there was a point when I went to this one bar and they had something called like the lava flow or some, something <laughs> like that. And I was like, this drink is delicious. This is like it had strawberries mm -hmm. in it and was kind of creamy and i'm like and i told i told them i was like man this is one of the this is one of the best tasting drinks i've ever had and they said you know what the secret to that is i'm like what's that they're like oh no like it's ice cream i'm like ice cream <laughs> this is just dessert i'm just having dessert then it's like i'm having like a strawberry sundae like i was like literally a vanilla vanilla ice cream and 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 pureed strawberries that's just a ice cream sundae that's a strawberry frosty right there pretty much i was just like <laughs> yeah and then they pour some booze in there too so that's i mean i feel like there there's a whole business in new york right now that's cleaning up on the tipsy scoop their whole thing is alcoholic ice cream um i feel like that as a the culture is where we've been led <laughs> yeah to seek I refuge in literally i like ice cream and i like being drunk <laughs> what if i could do kill two birds with one stone how can we make that happen exactly well the next portion of the show the next thing that i always do is uh what did you buy We highlight some of the things that we have picked up, uh, records, music, books, of course. Uh, have you bought anything of note recently? I have. I bought, um, I bought the movie uh, Drive My Car on Criterion Blu-ray on the weekend. So that you can crinkle everything you want at home. I can, they can't shoot disapproving <laughs> stares at me at home. So again, I love that movie so much. That is the quietest movie I've ever seen in my life. And when I saw in the theater, I sat there with my candy box, terrified to, oh, because I was just like, oh, this is next level quiet in here. <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't want to be the one to break the, the trance of right. that quiet. But I... <clears throat> But I love that movie, and uh, I'm excited to watch like a nice, high quality version of it that's not just like a streaming thing. Mm -hmm. Anything else that I bought? Yeah. 
bought Raging Bull on Blu-ray also. That's less exciting. <laughs> there was a sale on Criterion Blu-rays. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I, from a, a book chain that we will not mention, <laughs> but let's just say one, it's two last names. <laughs> and one begins with a B. Uh-huh. Ampersand. Baskin Robbins. Baskin Robbins. <laughs> yes, my favorite bookstore. Yes. Ice books cream are very books short. And, <laughs> and they're usually about ice cream. Um, wait, that's the menu. Oh. I, I picked up the new Mary Roach book, newish, came out earlier this year. Uh, Fuzz by Mary Roach. She's the um, science writer who started her first book, which I absolutely loved, was Stiff, which is just all the things that could happen to your body after you die, like all the mm -hmm. things that can happen to corpses. Sure. She seems like she'd be a delight at parties. Um, and so th this one, yeah. Fuzz, is about what happens when wild animals and humans are sort of forced to interact. You know, what, do you ha what happens when a moose is jaywalking all over your town? What do you do? Wow. Okay. Uh, and so it's just collections of those types of stories, which I'm really excited about. Um, super fun. She's an incredible writer, and all of her books have great single word titles, except for the one about going to Mars, which you would think could be called Mars or Space, but it's yeah. called Packing for Mars, instead of all the other ones are one words. Stiff sure. and Bonk and now Fuzz. And then well, the other. If she could do it over again. <laughs> right. Someone, someone broke her broker pattern someone someone told her don't do it this time yeah the other thing that i got which i'm really excited about um because i absolutely his first two novels are two incredible books anthony mara's new novel Mer mercury pictures presents and uh, just came out august 2nd and it's about 1940s los angeles and it's one of these great sort of globe hopping historical novels that Really, you know, he's excellent at, he's covered Chechnya and Russia, and I'm so excited about this new mm -hmm. book. I, I love backlot novels, um, especially when the, you know, the big studio system novels are really fun. Yeah, I'm always amazed. It's like there's a cap on stories about show business, or at least people say there is. Right. Because everybody's like, oh, because me, me, I work in television uh, as a day job and you'll, you'll talk about an idea for a TV show and they'll be just like, oh, nobody wants shows about shows. And so it's like, it's all I would watch would be things about the making of movies and the making of, the, I could watch a thousand of them yeah. and I could never watch anything else. I'm amazed at like, other people really dis feel that that has been, they've gotten too much of it. I could, there's no limit for me when it comes to those. I, I feel like, uh, I, I feel like the streamers might've heard you and have gone back in time and we're just like, okay, we're going to start making some, cause there's, there's that, what, uh, the, the, the Godfather. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> which that... I have not started it, but I've heard to be polite mixed reports. <laughs> that is the, <laughs> that is the gracious way of saying not good well i just think it's so funny that like we're this far deep on what is a book adaptation you know it's a mm -hmm. mario puzo novel that became a movie yeah. that became 
a show about yeah. making the movie. It just yeah. seems like you're pretty far deep in your adaptation. At that exactly. Time. They cross off every, it's like every medium is being utilized to tell we, this story. I want to talk about the Godfather still again yes. in a different way. I want to show you the same story, but from a slightly different angle. <laughs> Tom, It Never Ends was an absolutely incredible book, a memoir that covers so many bases. It covers so many parts of your life. And, you know, one of the things that you cover is the best show, um, this podcast radio show that you've been doing for years and years and years and years. And you've just had this incredible, you're just coming out with this new incredible height from it, the 24-hour show. You just did from from Wednesday, 20, the 26th. Tuesday, Tuesday, July 26th at 6 p.m. until Wednesday, July 27th at 6 p.m. was pretty much like a full-on 24-hour episode of the show, uninterrupted. I was awake for the whole time. I, I had, it was just jam-packed with events and guests and all sorts of stuff. We had music. It really was. Yeah, it was like a. It was a, it was just an achievement that I can't believe we pulled off, and that it was as seamless in the scheme of things. Like the idea of doing something that was twenty four hours long and had so many moving parts and variables, and unpredictable elements, for that to um, just come off, and I was happy with every part of it. I couldn't. I've never experienced anything like that. That's crazy. I mean, with so many moving parts and so many people that so many people are just stepping up for you. Absolutely. No, people really rose to the challenge. And, and some people were like, they're like, well, you have a lot of people helping you. It's like, no, we did have a lot of people helping, but the core people was just a handful of people. It was like lean and mean mm -hmm. and it was just the effort was just so above and beyond from the core staff of the best show. It was unbelievable. It was just a lot. It was a few people going so far above and beyond that. I was just, I didn't know. I, I, that's what made it work. And it was just, it doesn't want to make it. It, it wasn't like a case of just like throwing bodies at the thing. It's like people really were doing so we're going so far past a hundred giving a hundred percent as much of a cliche as that sounds, but it still is true. <laughs> right. Right. Well, you, you've worked with these people for years, you know, what a hundred percent looks like. Yes. Yeah. So you can say 110. Sometimes that happens. You, you can. Yeah. And that's that. Yeah. It's always funny when people get very liberal with going past a hundred percent and they just start going to like, it's like, Nobody was giving 280% <laughs> on it. It's like, you know, for dramatic purposes, you can go to 110%. But they're always just like, I was given 200%. And then I decided I'm going to go past that. It's like, what are you talking about? Get your percentages in line. You're, you're, you need some calibration. Right. I'm pretty sure that's just like someone who doesn't understand what percentages are and not really someone yeah. who's talking about their amount of effort. Uh, one, one highlight, one 
part that I absolutely loved was Jarvis Cocker coming on frontman of pulp to yeah. tell you how much it never ends was meaning to him. Yeah. Jarvis Cocker is a true undeniable icon, just a straight up icon. He is the front man of one of the best bands ever and has become this personality on his own and does all these things on his own. It is a wildly interesting person and has expressed himself in so many different forms. And he has a book that just came out in the UK called Good Pop, Bad Pop, that I'm, I'm assuming there'll be some, I'm assuming it'll get easier to get a hold of in America. Yeah, he he had made re he had made a, a reference to that it might not be published here, but there might be some distribution arrangement so that people don't have to pay uh, international shipping to mm. to get it. So, but the book is great. So he just did that, and I I worked the channels to try to get a hold of him to see if he would come on the show, and um, yeah, basically James Murphy from lcd sound system i'll just tell everybody open your umbrellas because there are some names dropping from the sky right now <laughs> you um now he um i've known i've known james for a, a, a good while and i i'd floated it on twitter saying i was trying to get a hold of him and then people over at his label uh dfa records uh to be more specific uh shit robot one of the performers on the label reached out and said, we know, we know James and they did a mutual introduction. And then I started emailing with Jarvis and was just blown away by it. Then he came on the show. Then he said he had the book and was reading it and really enjoying it. So Un cool. Unbelievable. Then for him in the interview, he quotes, he says like, uh, he said, um, it's like yes, it's uh, finding a, a like a unqualified triumph, like you say in your book. Like it was just like <laughs> this is this is unbelievable. Um, so no, that was that was just truly special. So, for the folks who might not have read "It Never Ends" yet or or encountered it, what would you say um, the book's about? Well, I, I, like you said, I guess ultimately it is a memoir. It's um, it's my story of my kind of the first uh, bunch of decades of my life and the the it's a journey. It's, it's kind of a journey to where I'm at now, which is dealing with with things that happen in your life, bad things that happen in your life. And ultimately, I would say if you tell me what you think of this is, I wanted to write something that was, see, I'm doing a terrible job of selling this book. People would be <laughs> like, let's take this guy two minutes to ramble on about his own thing. Um, no, basically, it's stories through my life. But there is a through line that is I would say is coming to terms with tragedy and shame and, and how tragedy can turn into uh, shame and, and then you bury shame. And at some point 
me facing the the my past so that I could move forward. Is that that track? Yeah, it does track. And but I, but I didn't want it to feel like a book about a book. It ultimately became that in some form, but that was truly only because it was the story I was trying to tell, not because it was a, um, it was not a, it was not me being a, like a clever device, like a literary. It wasn't like I was trying to be cute by not actually committing and writing a book, but it's a book about a book, which means on some, some way you didn't write a book. Right. But I did because it's not, it was not just a device. It was, literally the path to getting to the to the uh to the place where i felt comfortable enough to tell the story in book form it's an interesting word that you use comfortable do you feel as comfortable writing as you do broadcasting being in front of a microphone no that's the most honestly talking to a microphone is the most comfortable i think i can be uh, in terms of expressing myself, because when I talk into a microphone, I'm in control of the moment and there's not even an opportunity for feedback or critique or change this, change that, because it happened already. It's just, and that's why I've every uh, episode of the best show is live. So that's, uh, mm that just makes it about the moment and living in the moment and talking in the moment to an audience is something I've done so much of that. I feel very comfortable doing it. Writing still has, um, writing still just has the chance for feedback and for thoughts and for, for improving or changing or whatever you want to call it. It's still not a, it's still not an immediate Thing. Writing is actually the opposite of an immediate thing. It's the most, there's so many steps and stages in writing that when the thing finally comes out and you say it's finished, there's, there's still parts where I'm just like, I don't exactly remember if that's in the book or not for certain small moments, like little, mm. little asides and things like that. I don't remember which there once in a while, I'll think of a thing and be like, not entirely sure that's not in the book. Right. Right. Cause it's so, you're so far away from it at the time that it actually finally hits people's hands. Absolutely. And just, just the sheer amount of time that that takes, just the, the time to write the book is one thing. The time for what, uh, what you write to be turned into a book is its own thing as well. And, all of those add up to um, it just feels like something you're still doing. It feels like it's something you did already that you're still doing. If mm. that makes sense. It's a very strange thing to go back into my past, tell these stories, be in the present, writing them, then have that be done. So now the manuscript or the whatever is in the past and I'm doing rewrites in the present. And that, it's just like, it's, you just keep, the timeline keeps sliding back and forth and it's just, it's a, I don't know if other people have said this to you, but there's just such an unnatural aspect to writing a 
memoir because you're being, you are, I was completely truthful. I, I was more honest writing this book than I've been doing anything, anything else in my life. I feel like this book was the most honest version of myself because on the radio, on the best show, I can, I can dole out as much or as little of my true secrets as I, as I choose to, but I knew for this book, if I was going to do it, I have to, it's, there's, it's not optional. I have to go all in. Mm. I knew that from the beginning too. And I had said it, this is going to be the place where I tell some of the stories about my life, the stuff that I hadn't shared on the radio or anywhere else for that matter, or even shared with my friends for that matter. I just would kept these things of mental illness, of uh, electroconvulsive therapy, of all of that stuff. I played my cards very close to my chest and did not show anybody any of that stuff. But then it was the kind of thing where it's like, no, well, it's going to be in the book because mm. otherwise, because that's what books meant to me that I've, I, I'm one of the people who has just idolized and fetishized just the idea of a book. Like that meant everything. The mm. idea like, you can't just half-ass a book. If you're doing a book, that's that's like a a gift. Like you're giving, you're getting this insane once in a lifetime opportunity. And only with time passing, um, did I realize that that was not entirely true. That there are plenty of people who could not care less about <laughs> books who write books. <laughs> I did not, for some reason I was willfully or whatever. I was blind to that very obvious fact that walking into any mainstream bookstore and looking at the first table at the front of that bookstore would have told me that these people didn't care about writing books, but somebody paid them to write a book. So there's like, they just were like, yeah, I'll try a book. Okay. Yeah. Why not? How does it feel to have finally reached that goal, to have reached that the lofty station of, you know, even though even though of course some people don't care, you you you've you've managed it, and are is has it meant as much as you hoped it would? Oh, it actually meant more in in a way. It was it was clear that I, I it how important it truly was when I saw the book uh in a bookstore it um it was such a weird surreal experience that i thought would never happen mm. but it did and i was just blown away by seeing that book in a bookstore like all the other books and then you start to look and then you're just like there's sure a lot of books in here <laughs> you start looking around like yikes these are all the new ones <laughs> i thought i thought publishing was dying sure seems to be a lot of new books for a dying medium that's they yeah the the reports of the book industry's death i mean it's the book industry that loves that sounds that alarm all the time like yeah. so that's the re, you know we're the ones that are always saying keep buying books. We're dying. So, you know, we need to look at the source there. Vote harder. It's the <laughs> vote harder of, <laughs> it's, 
of entertainment. One of the chapters deals with you writing for Monk for many, 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 many years. And one of the things of Monk is that it's a mystery show. It's a mystery, uh, who who killed whom, who did the... And mm-hmm. it made me wonder how that affected your reading. Did you read thrillers and mysteries and stuff before Monk? Did you after to get a better feel of them? I, it's just something that, that with so many plots that you have to be churning out. You know, this is a real network, old-fashioned 20 episodes per mm-hmm. per season uh, show. It just seems like the type of thing where if you did read thrillers, it might be the sort of thing that would cure you of of enjoying them. Yeah, no, I, it was... Um, I never was big on straight mystery. I enjoyed more of... Um, well, because I, I, there's two schools of thought in, in that you can base off of one people who love Columbo mm. and then there's people who love Rockford files and they're both crime based programs, but Columbo is a straight up detective mystery with a, with a question, who did this? How did this happen? Why did this happen? Like the, the, the who done it, why done it, where, like all those things that falls under the mystery uh, of the umbrella of traditional mystery. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was never my thing. I preferred Rockford Files, which he's, uh, it's more about the character because Columbo is this blank slate. Basically, you're not exactly sure. You've never seen his home. You're not sure what his deal is. It's all about the crime. Mm-hmm. but Rockford Files is about the character which is cut more from the cloth of um, like uh, Raymond Chandler uh, Philip Marlowe mm-hmm. and it's more about the city if anything like those are just like oh this is LA this is LA crime LA noir this is and that was always more appealing to me um, because then there's that, there's that aspect in the, in the Chandler books of you're just kind of going along for the ride. You go where the adventure takes you and it's not nearly as linear as a detective going from suspect to suspect to suspect, asking questions and chipping away at the mystery of the thing you you know philip marlowe goes somewhere he's trying to figure the thing out and look there's ultimately mysteries in the marlowe stuff but it's also it's about the journey right not the solution and you want to see rockford's character Marlowe's character up against different foes and different situations and that that was always more appealing to me and that's why Elmore Leonard was the most appealing to me with that stuff because he did the crime fiction stuff and kind of didn't even try to do the mystery part of it it was all character bumping up against character he'd create these amazing characters he creates a good guy he creates 
a bad guy that you like. He creates a good guy that you don't like. He creates a bad guy that you hate. Like he just makes all of these characters and then he just kind of lets them uh, bump up against each other. Mm -hmm. And that to me was the most appealing thing. Like crime, I guess you'd call that crime fiction. Okay. Is that fair, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Well, if you don't know, I don't know who would know. (laughs) You do a a podcast for nine years about books. I think eight, now that I'm really looking back up. Eight. Uh, Okay, eight years. So that's, I think it's in the ninth year that I learned exactly the difference between crime and mystery. Look, there you go. (laughs) But that was the thing is like, so when it came to Monk, I was much more versed in Philip Marlowe stuff, uh, Jim Rockford. And then, but I went and re- I read all the Sherlock Holmes stuff, watched all the Columbo. So it was a matter of getting an education in book and TV for me with that and, 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 and movies also. So it wasn't where I lived beforehand, but I kind of went to school on it and came out of it knowing how to tell a mystery. That seems like a kind of a fun education. Oh, absolutely. One of the things that's, that I I feel is true that I um, figured out. I do think that people who can write comedy can learn how to write mysteries because mysteries have certain patterns and certain setups and reveals and fake outs and all of this stuff that it, the, it, a good mystery mirrors what good comedy achieves mm. where there's just patterns and rhythms. And if you, you can replicate it at the very least, I'm not saying that a comedy writer will now be some expert mystery writer, but they can at least understand the mechanics of it. Right. Cause it's a formula that they yeah. can then it's subvert. a very it's a very it's a shockingly similar formula huh that's really interesting or do you have any reading projects that you're undergoing right now i am reading this is the weirdest thing i'm reading this maybe you've heard of bruce springsteen he wrote a book <laughs> called born to run ah. and I tried listening to the audio book twice and stopped. I tried reading the book twice. This is my third attempt. Okay. I have no idea. And I enjoy every part of it I read, but it is not. There's some flow issue with this book and me that does not jibe. And I it is like it is a slog for something that i'm interested in i'm interested in hearing his story he tells his story well he opens up about certain things i don't know what it is there's just not an ease to it for me and i finally reach and this makes me sound like i understand this this makes me sound like the dumbest person on earth saying like i decided then and there no matter what it took i was going to read Bruce Springsteen's book. <laughs> it makes me sound so stupid. People are just like, yeah, okay. 
end but i just i wanted i just want to do it and it's a slog i keep putting it down and at night i have to force myself to pick it back up and then when i do i'm like oh that was interesting right. and then the next day i don't want to do it again that's that's strange i i i feel like this is something that can happen especially with the the genre of of musician memoirs mm -hmm. and i think part of it is for me anyway, I find myself reading what feels like the ghostwriter's hand, like some this person sure. who handheld them through this broke their natural flow. And so it, there's like some sort of cognitive dissonance between like, wait a minute, this doesn't sound like you really. And mm -hmm. sometimes it does though. Yeah. So like you're constantly like being, having that push and pull of not quite recognizing the voice. Yeah. Well, I'll say this. I believe he wrote every word of this book. And it just, it feels like that. And it's, it is well written. Look, Neil Young's book, not so well written. Okay. Spots. It was written as if it was written on the back, back of paper bags and things on tour. And he would just hand the paper bag off to yeah. his editor and tell them that's chapter nine that I paper think. bag <laughs> um be like no the walgreens bag is chapter 10 <laughs> mcdonald's bag is chapter nine meanwhile um, these chapters are just paragraphs yes it's a, <laughs> but it's like it's really it's well written it just and it feels like it's completely in his voice i just i don't know there's i think he's you know what it is he's taking it's over 500 pages long He's taking his sweet time through certain stretches that I, I, I get it. I know what it's like <laughs> to grow up in New Jersey. And he is certainly taking the scenic route mm. through his youth. Um, but definitely his voice. Like, I don't, I, I know that thing when you feel the invisible hand or not invisible hand of the, of the, the, the shaper. Whoever yeah, was shaper. doing it. Yeah. This is not that. This is another whole other thing. I'd love to know your thoughts on legacy. The concept of legacy as a whole, and then how what, what legacy means to you. Do you think about your own legacy? Yeah, legacy means more to me when it comes to other people than myself. What do you mean? Like, I'm interested in the legacy of artists I like and tracking their body of work and seeing all these career-defining things and and oh, they they were in the they were lost in the woods for this stretch and then they shocked everybody and came back with this album or this movie or whatever. Um, but for myself, I don't know. I don't, I, I'm kind of, I don't know. I, I'm just kind of comfortable with this low to mid tier awareness of what I do. I wish parts of it were easier is I, that's the only thing that I wish would come from recognition or anything like that. I I'll say when I'm gone, 
I will, when I'm done with this stuff, I will be done with it. And I mean it as you'll never hear from me again, because that will just be because I did it. And I'm not saying it in any kind of threat or, oh, no, please don't go. It's just like, no, but when I'm done, I'm going to be done. I'm not going to be half in, half out with stuff. And maybe I'll never be done. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's just a concept. And my purpose is to just keep chipping away, keep doing things for the entirety of whatever, however long my life is. Mm -hmm. But maybe I'll also just be like, you know what? I'm done talking into microphones. I want to see what that feels like to not do that. And then I'll stop doing it. And then that'll be that. Maybe I'll figure other things out. Or maybe I won't. I don't know. But I do. I don't want any kind of like push me, pull me. Like, I'm out. <laughs> I'm back. Now I'm out. Well, now I'm back. Right. Now I'm really out. Like, that stuff is exhausting. It's like. And I, if I don't care about that, I truly, the idea of caring about what you leave behind uh, creatively after you die, I couldn't, I, I, there's nothing of any value in there to me with that at all. It's like, because first of all, it's out of your control, right? Whatever happens, happens. You can't, you can't put yourself in a position to be talked about after you're gone because history does what history does and some people uh some people's stock rises and other people get erased it's like what's what's his name booth tarkington is that the he wrote magnificent ambersons uh yeah i i don't know the what <laughs> i don't know what booth tarkington wrote off the top of my head you don't? I know. Hold on. I'm checking right now. <laughs> yes, it was, a, it was a novel by Booth Tarkington. He wrote it, and the book was huge when it came out. Like, this was like, this was the guy shaping the culture. It won the Pulitzer Prize for fiction. Then it was made into a movie in the 40s came out in 1918 they made a movie in the fort the or orson Welles movie in the forties. it's gone now like nobody hangs on to that book and it, i'm just saying that's what time does right it, it does what it's going to do and i'm sure there were people in the the 1910s 20s 30s and 40s four decades who would say well this is an all-time classic that's going nowhere but it right. got it got erased it just slowly drifted out of awareness all those huge books that you see growing up that i would see these giant like these like giant historical epics like I'm, i forget who i'm thinking of what is it leon what leon urus yeah leon urus i would see these books that like like relatives houses these enormous books that seemed like they were made for all time and they're not they just were of their time i couldn't so all i'm trying to say is i couldn't imagine trying to control any version of that seems like the seems like just a straight up waste of time because it's truly out of your hands yeah 
Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. But I do feel like, especially after doing something like the the twenty four hour show, or you know, I feel like people talk about Which maybe is mine. Your That's my Magnificent Ambersons was the twenty four hour <laughs> show. So thank you for. So you were saying, but doing that twenty four hour show. Yeah, it's just like those types of things feel like career defining moments. Things where people can point to those things and be like, ah, yes, the constellation, it, it went from here to here and here. Mm -hmm. um, well, and so I feel like some people do that from a space of I'm building my legacy, like Quentin Tarantino talking about his library of films or whatever. Good for him though, because he's, <laughs> it's working now, but 30 years from now, people might just be like, that guy was popular. <laughs> Wait, what? No, we don't want that. And then he's, then it's gone. And it happens, go, if you walk up, I know the kinks have a song about it, but if you walk up Hollywood Boulevard, there, it's like the, the, one of the best, so that's one of the best Ray Davies lyrics where it's just like, you see all the stars as you walk down Hollywood Boulevard, some that you recognize, some that you've hardly even heard of. And that's just what it, that is. That's just like the song Celluloid Heroes. It's just like these people were famous enough their legacy was great enough to get that star but it what does that get you i'd rather i do the 24 hour thing i got a thrill out of it in the moment people got a thrill out of it as it was happening like that's the that's what that's about for me it's just like the moment of doing that not legacy though just do something. Everybody had a great time with a thing. I put an event into the world that nobody was, nobody knew they wanted or was asking for, but it was just like, it made sense to me and we did it. And people were legitimately excited by it and had a great time. And then we'll do the next one like that. And yeah. if, if anybody decides to care after that, it's that is at their discretion, 100% their right to care or not care. I have to say one of my absolute favorite moments from the 24-hour show came very much like right at, near the end when mm -hmm. you said like, we'll be back next week. That just seemed oh, yeah. like the, cr the craziest promise, but mm -hmm. like, I'm not, no, I'm not going to rest after this or I'm going to take a week. And a week will be enough, and then I'll be back on this microphone. That's exactly it. And that's the whole point of the the thing. The point has turned out to be each episode of the show has been a brick in building this larger thing, but it was never conceived to be that. Mm. It turned out to be that. Right. I, I would not have signed on to do that because nobody would have signed on to do a thing where it's like, hey, you want to do a thing for 20 years? You'd be like, how much am I going to get paid? It's like, well, not much because the first 15 you're going to do for free because it's on a non-commercial radio station. You'd be like, wait, where are you going? I didn't finish my pitch to get you to do this thing for 20 plus years. But it made sense every week, month, year. It All that made sense and continues to make sense as long as I am in control of the, the thing and can define and shape it to be whatever I want it to be. Like that's the, that's the way 
that's the thing that keeps me wanting to do it is that mm-hmm. I get to change it as it, as I determine. Well, I'm glad that you took some of that corporeal Play-Doh and made the book. And mm-hmm. not just because I'm in it. <laughs> yeah. No, I want to say this also. This is as great. This is the best platform for me to say this. And you're just going to have to accept what I say now. Okay. I had said on the, on the best show over the years, I want to write a book. I want to write a book. And you reached out and said, I want you to write a book (laughs) you're ready. You have to let me know because I want to help you with this. And I want to represent you in the in the quest for you to write the book you want to write and it would it would not have happened it definitely would not have happened the way that it happened if it wasn't for you and it might not have happened period if it wasn't for you because you stayed you waited it's the it's the greatest act of patience (laughs) You just would every once in a while, you'd stick your head back in and go like, Hey, you still think about a book? I'd be like, yeah, kind of. And then you wouldn't hear from me <laughs> for another year, another six months, whatever. But then there was the point where I was like, no, it is time. And you were ready and receptive. And I showed you some sample chapters for the book that I was so nervous about that I, I printed them out and you went to a, a, to get coffee and read them while I was doing a voice job on mm-hmm. Steven Universe. You went and read the pages. Now, what was, and then you said, no, there's something here that's more than what I thought it was going to be and more than I, that you, meaning me, had maybe implied that it would be. Yes. And you were like, there's something, there's something really, real here and you should go forward with that and what we're just so i just want to thank you for having the for just sticking with me through all of this (laughs) to where i actually did this book because it's the it's the thing i'm probably most proud of and it wouldn't exist if it wasn't for you so thank you for that i really do mean that um what were you thinking that when that you, day, <laughs> that day, when I gave you those pages, what was that like from your side of things? I've never asked that. I, first of all, I want to say you took I, pictures of every page and I just, first of all, the first thing it, you did was run to Kinko's with the thing yeah. and run off copies. I, and I just distributed because them for an hour. Cause I wanted great. to, I wanted the right to take I don't want to, I didn't want to email you a file because I didn't want this stuff being out there necessarily if I was not going to go forward and, or if I was not going to go forward, if you were not interested in it, like I just wanted control over my own story. So I printed it out, handed it to you, took the pages back when we said goodbye that day. It was brilliant too, because, you know, one thing that I feel like happens when you're working with any sort of anybody on any writing thing ever is you send them the thing and then you have Mm -hmm. to be like oh were were they busy that day oh that you know 
24 hours we'll see what happens and then a week goes by and you're like what do they hate it mm-hmm. do they yeah do they think i'm the worst writer alive and that's why mm-hmm. and when really it's just they haven't gotten to it yet because life is busy absolutely um, but instead you set up a perfect situation where i had to give you feedback mm-hmm. in a perfect amount of time and honestly i i appreciated some old-fashioned rate like true pages to read i mean it it, it was sort of I also love any excuse to get out of the office and come sure. into the city. So I was mm. mostly just, I knew that you were going to deliver. There was no question in my mind. And so I just got a really great trip out to go see you for a little bit. And, mm-hmm. and I was just sitting there laughing in this cafe at the pages that I got, even though they, they were some of the most harrowing things right at the top. I mean, you were like yeah. putting that right up front, but you were still so funny. And I was just like, if that, if the book is going to be like this, I have nothing. I don't know what Tom is worried about. This is, this is going to be amazing. Oh, that's nice to hear because it was, I felt good about what I had put in front of you, but I also have felt that way about other things through my career and people just didn't respond to it necessarily. And you just, that's how that goes sometimes. So I was not. I, I was not definitely not in the mindset that we're just like, well, if, if Christopher doesn't like it, then he's wrong. Like right. I, th- that was not, I was not so self-assured about that. Um, I, yeah, I wanted you to respond to it. Cause I, and I was also kind of laying it out there talking about stuff. I mean, you were one of the first people to hear, you're probably the first person to hear any of these stories who did not know me well at that point mm-hmm. and it was that was a leap of faith for me and i was so relieved that you saw something here and that just was the green light for me to um to just keep going on it and to really chase this thing down and i think that the thing that might get lost in this conversation or or anytime that people talk about a book rather than you just go and read it, um, is that all of these stories, all of these things, like that's sort of the beauty of the book is that you actually don't need to know who you are at all to open this book, read it and enjoy it and find great stories and great things that are funny and like Mm -hmm. things that will surprise anybody that just like a human had to endure and then came out and did the things that you did afterwards. I knew I wanted to write a book that, had a very low bar in terms of entry point mm-hmm. that it wasn't going to be a thing for the fans of the best show only it right. was like and i said that early and i meant it the whole way and that was something we talked about repeatedly through the process was that i don't want this to be behind the scenes on the best show by tom sharpling i could have written that book years ago right and I could have written that book in a month like that one. I could have knocked a book like that out so fast. I wanted it to be a book that like many of the books I've read, the nonfiction books about subjects, subject matters, people, whatever, where it's just like, I don't know a whole lot about this. I'm not bringing a whole lot to the table in terms of knowledge about this, but mm-hmm. I, um, it's written in a way that it is it is welcoming me to this world and 
um, I feel like I can, I can uh, tap into the universal qualities of what this story is trying to tell. And that really was one of the big goals for the book was that it did not, that nobody would pick it up and just go like, I don't know what this guy's talking about. It's too inside baseball. Mm. This is not for me. This is for fans only. I, I didn't want any of that. Well, I think that you achieved it. And I think it's, it's a very easy book to recommend to anyone who's interested in any of the things you cover, music, television, writing, rock and roll, mm-hmm. uh, growing up in New Jersey, hanging yeah. out of pinball places. Like it's all, it's all in there. And I just think that it's going, people are going to discover it for, for years and years and years to come. And oh, that's, that's very sweet. I, I, I completely believe it. I think that people, we, we forget in the hustle and bustle of, of books that like it is out there now for people to discover there's, there's copies around for people to find and it's in libraries and stuff. And I always think it's cool to see it there because it just means that for years now, years and years, people are going to be pulling it off the shelf. And now I wonder that to <laughs> the library part to me, just to uh, uh, interrupt the library part is so exciting because that just means it's just there for whoever wants it can get it. Nobody has to say, do I want to spend 25 bucks on this or 15 bucks on this? Um, you just, it's that, that part is, it's just, w- will you take the leap right. and read this book is all that is asked of you then. Cause that's, it's again, I guess it's not hard to, not a long walk to figure out that me with my book, uh obsession was a it was have has always been a huge fan of libraries but that just like (laughs) that goes hand in hand with my obsession with books is just loving loving the library so much and seeing a book i wrote in the library is just mind-blowing still to see that awful shiny clear plastic (laughs) wrapped around (laughs) wrapped around the book yeah crinkles now don't read don't watch drive my car with a <laughs> library copy of my book that's all i ask uh but you were saying the book's gonna last forever yes everybody loves it i was saying the that end of time i was gonna ask you if you um if you wanted to rec- i'm gonna highly recommend you know tom sharpling's it never ends I'm going to ask if you, ha- I wanted to ask if you had any other, um, anything you'd like to recommend. Yes, I do. And now this is going to be, this, this is a movie that came out a month or so ago, but I'm recommending it because I still think people, and look, this sounds like the most basic recommendation on earth. Okay. Not recommending minions. Don't worry. <laughs> But I'm pretty close, honestly, because I saw the Boz Lorman Elvis movie. Ooh. And did you see it? Oh, yeah. Did you like it? I loved it. It's I wanted to when I tell people I loved it. People think like I'm joking or something because it, I've talked to people where they're just like, I was like, did you see the Elvis movies? They're like, no, it looks terrible, right? I'm like, it's amazing. It is I look, I'm predisposed to enjoy Boz Lorman, first okay. of all. I think he's 
as a friend of mine put it, he's one of the great unknowable creators of our time mm. where you're not sure what his actual deal is as a person. <laughs> you just don't know. He's a mystery. But yeah. and he's not he has not made that many things either. This is like his sixth movie. Yeah, I think. I I was a big fan of his first movie of Strictly Ballroom. It's a great movie and it's it, a great movie. And it's it's not at all like what he's ended up doing in a lot of ways. No, it 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 if you watch it again, which I did, there are some signifiers but only if you take you have to meet it more than halfway to see how it would lead you to it would be to 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 come away with anything that you'd be like oh that's the Boz Lerman style right there right but it's it is in there in certain ways but in other ways it's not it's 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 there's it's a much smaller budget obviously than everything he's done but he um people think that this Elvis movie is going to be terrible or silly or just garbage. Like, oh, it looks like garbage. Like, you're going to laugh at it. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's I, to me, I, for, I think it's the best Boz Lorman movie. Yeah. It is. It is just a towering achievement of so much. First of all, the guy playing Elvis, Austin Butler, it's, I would say it's the best biopic performance I've ever seen with nobody. I don't even know who would come in second. Mm -hmm. It's so far up there. He become, becomes Elvis. Because I grew up in a house, a household where my parents both loved Elvis. So I was kind of, that was always hovering. It was woven into the DNA of of my childhood got it was he did cast some kind of shadow over uh over over my childhood mm -hmm. um but the guy who plays elvis becomes elvis in the most all-encompassing way there were times watching the movie where i was straight up rattled by how good he was at bringing this guy to life without it being a by the numbers performance or or some kind of just like he's not aping elvis he is right. elvis it's not an an impersonation no he's literally transforms into the guy and then when you hear it took him 2 years of prep and training you're like yeah it paid off i saw a headline where it's like it was like uh how Austin Butler beat out Harry Styles for the part of Elvis. It's just like, well, he beat him out by being better than him is how he did. <laughs> I, I don't need to read this article. Harry Styles would have been multitasking that whole time and not going all the way. And this guy went all the way in. And for people who don't know who he is, he, he played Tex Watson in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. So he was great in that. And then, but you see this and you're just like, holy moly, this is, next level it's just this movie about just the sadness of making the sadness of genius and the sadness of art and the reality of art and the unfortunate reality of art 
and it's it's and t- I know people single out Tom Hanks and like, oh, he's ridiculous, and it's like, yeah, he is. And I, what do you think? Nobody realized that when they were making it. <laughs> They're just like, what? Oh my god, he looks. Uh, I guess we'll just let him do it. <laughs> I guess we got to let him do the exactly. Yeah, like, what are we gonna do? He's playing this kind of big, and it's like. <laughs> How is you tell me what Tom Hanks is supposed to do? He's in a movie about Elvis, directed by Boz Lorman. What is he supposed to suddenly go for the seventies uh, acting style of just gritty, small performance? Right. He he will be swallowed up by this movie if he does not do what he. And he's also playing a monster. He's literally playing a monster. He's everything Elvis isn't. Elvis is beautiful. Colonel Tom is not beautiful and it's just every all of that stuff he's the he's doing what the role requires and what the the character requires but the movie is this experience you see it you just get consumed by it and I love it so much and I just want to I'm saying I'm picking it as the 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 recommendation because he because people have this misconception of it that it's just going to be well Boz Lorman can be campy and can be can be is wildly over the top mm-hmm. but the subject matter matches Boz maybe truly for the first time right. to where he has met his match and his equal which is telling this story and I cannot recommend it enough and i think people should see it in a theater also because it sounds and looks just amazing yeah i i i i wholeheartedly co-endorse i loved it i i didn't have any real elvis until uh you know of course you just know it's one of the things you're like born knowing it's a little bit about elvis Mm -hmm. um but i i got obsessed when i read that peter garalnik um I mean, Elvis seems to inspire people to their height because the Peter Goralnik, uh two-volume biography mm-hmm. of Elvis is basically the best rock and roll biography ever written. Um, and I just yeah. think that... Was it that, Mystery Train is one of them, right? Uh, Last Train to Memphis. Last and, Train to Memphis. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm... And then the the other one. But I yeah. I listened to... It was a great, great audiobook. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Of course, that if you know anything about Elvis, that's not what this movie's doing, and has very little um, to yeah. do with facts. But it shouldn't. It's a. It's so much bigger than that. I. I completely agree. Yeah, I. I we're on the same page. I'm glad we're on the same page. I don't know what I would have done. <laughs> you were just like, I saw it, and it sucked. <laughs> uh, uh, I do have one book recommendation that I think you would like. Um, it's, a, it's a new book uh, out from Norton called One's Company by Ashley Hudson. And it's about a woman who wins a lottery. And what she does with the money is to sequester herself and build a perfect replica of the Three's Company set and live there and live out Hold episodes on. of the show. Hold on a second. Yeah. Wait, what is this book? As soon as you started talking, I was just like, you were just, this is what it sounded like. I got a book you can read. Book, 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 book. And I was like, because <laughs> I just assume you're maybe a little too smart for me. 
and I was just like, smart book, smart book, smart book. And then I hear, I hear the phrase reconstructs the threes company set. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, boring. What? (laughs) (laughs) It is so wild and really kind of, I, I could read like a series of these, like someone who wins the lottery and builds the, you know, welcome back Cotter mm-hmm. set. Like I could read more of yeah. these, but this one, she just, she finds these weird ways of expressing like love for television and, and what sitcoms mean, like the old version of what sitcoms are. And if you're interested in comedy or television or a threes company at all, uh, this is a great ones company. It really blew me away. I read it mm-hmm. very quickly. And it is very absurd. And it sort of reminded me of this other book, Remainder by Tom McCarthy, but less yeah. heady, which, um, and more about the feelings of, I don't know, of loss and deprivation in the midst of like finally getting your dream. It's a very strange, and it gets bigger and bigger. She starts building like the flower shop that she works in for a season and like, other people's Mm -hmm. apartments and like she stays as as a roper and she there's a character that disappears after a season she figures out what happened to them it's a very interesting fantastic book and i i do think you'd like it you in particular tom you just (laughs) sold a copy of that book (laughs) first of all and to the people at home i also highly recommend getting getting into the best show if you haven't tried it yet the best way to do it or the way I did it because I listened to the best show gems before I listened to the show. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you still release the sort of the best of the best shows. And that's sort of a good way to get into it before you start dipping into the three hours. But Mm -hmm. another great intro is the, is the book. It never ends. And it's out now. You can get the paperback or at your local library. Yeah. And I will, I will say one thing to, um, I kind of am looking at the, we did this 24 hour episode of the show, which is very guest driven and it's not a whole lot of inside baseball, but there's a lot there obviously to digest. You could always poke around on that to hear certain interviews with certain Mm -hmm. guests, but I'm also vaguely generally thinking of this post 24-hour episode uh, uh, run of the show, um, the LA version of the show as being um, just a, we're we're gonna it's it I want I want it to be a good entry point for people. Ah, is, okay, is this version of things? I'm really gonna try to not. It's very easy for shows to become about the the minutia and to focus on the 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 it's just playing to people who have listened to every episode and right um yeah, but i kind of uh, want this yeah i want to i want to strip it back a little bit and um just make the show uh accessible for anybody for a good while that they can they can join and uh and not feel like they can't follow what we're talking about. So that's, so you, I, I feel like you could try the best show best or, um, just or you could just try the on. proper show. We are going to try to keep things pretty, um, pretty, pretty streamlined. Awesome. 
Well, there's that too. Yeah. No shortage of entry points. Well, Tom, thank you so much for hanging out on So Many Damn Books. It was a true pleasure to have you on. And this has been awesome. Working on It Never Ends was one of the best things I've ever gotten to done do in my life. So I appreciate working with you. I appreciate it too. And I can't thank you enough for everything you you did and taught me and everything going through this experience. I um, I will forever be grateful. <laughs> this is a this is a hard episode for me to end on like that. Uh, but we will be back in two weeks and uh, talk to you guys soon. Thank you.